Well, this morning, let's go to the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians, we're on a journey together. I want to preach on something that, honestly, I know many of you have probably heard me preach on once, maybe some of you twice. But I do feel in light of the freshmen, maybe even sophomores, I want to go over this in light of where we are in our progression. Now, obviously, we're dealing this week with the issues of personal separation. And one of the dangers in dealing with personal separation is people can just say, well, you know, make decisions in flesh dependence uh, to do something, maybe to be accepted or maybe to be a part of the crowd or maybe so they're not different or for a wrong motive. And uh, uh, in doing so, obviously, they set themselves up for defeat and failure. And that's not where we want to go. So I want to just deal with a couple of pitfalls on the road of grace. Uh, uh, so I think it's um, Hessian calls it the highway of holiness. It's that road on which you know it's, it's God, God enabling, strengthening you, and the grace of God is, is all about that road. And there's two ditches on either side. I remember years ago, I was with a, a pastor who was a former uh, airman. He was in the United States Air Force, and he was stationed in South Korea. And there in South Korea, uh, it was in the middle of rice fields, and, and evidently a lot of the soldiers would go out on those little you know, walkways in between the rice fields. You know, the white rice fields often are flooded, and so they'd have raised up walls, kind of earthen walls that they could walk on to get off the base. And he said once a year, he said... Uh, the Koreans, I hate to even say this, but you're, you could probably handle this. They'd flood the rice fields with human manure, okay, human sewage. That would be the fertilizer. Next time you eat rice, think about that for a moment. Okay, but anyway, uh, they'd flood the field with, uh, with human waste. And uh, the um, commander of the airfield would get together, get all the airmen together. And, of course, he had, you know, 18, 19-year-olds, kind of like you freshman, sophomore in here. And he said, now listen. He said, they flood the fields out here with uh, human waste. He said, there's something you need to know. When you come in at night, he said, don't come in drunk. And number two, he said, come in with a flashlight because if you fall off, you're going to regret it. If you fall off one of those earthen walls, you're going to regret it. And he said, every year, it did not matter. He said, those 18, 19-year-olds weren't listening, thought they could do it. You know what I'm talking about. I know that none of you freshmen are like that. Uh, but they figured they could handle it. And so they came in without a flashlight or maybe they came in a little tipsy. And then every year, he said, someone would fall off that little earthen wall and go into human sewage. And I tell you about this, that would be something that you'd probably hide. Regret. You know what I'm talking about? Thinking, I don't think I wish I'd done that. Okay. Uh, so, there, on that little, that narrow road, we could see there were two ditches, and we'll just spiritualize it full of defilement. Okay. Can we say that? And uh, certainly don't want to go in either ditch because neither one of them is going to be a good option. Okay. That's what we're going to deal with this, this morning. On either side of the Christian life, as it ought to be lived, there's a ditch. One ditch is what we have come to call legalism. It's not a Bible word, but we're going to use that here. And the other is the word license. We could call the road in between liberty, liberty. And liberty is one of those words in a moment we see can be misused. And we're going to try to see how the Bible tells it it can be misused. But I want you here, we're going to try to take a little, a little faster run through this since I know some of you have heard this particular presentation before, but I think in light of where we're going, it's important for you to recognize you don't want to be in either ditch. And I do believe that there are reactions. In other words, um, sometimes, uh, maybe I could put it this way, sometimes I hear people talk a lot about balance. And don't get me wrong, I am all for balance. But let me say this. If you ever intend, in, in, uh, intend to be a balance, you intend to be balanced, but you endeavor to do it in your own human strength, you're going to be imbalanced. I put it this way. People who emphasize balance are often 
unbalanced, unbalanced. Does that make sense? In other words, it's like this. If you follow Jesus, you'll be balanced. If you try to be balanced on your own, you won't be. So it's important for us to see what God says uh, here about the issue and help us recognize, get on that road where we're following the Lord and able to navigate in between these two pitfalls. Now, the book of Galatians, as you well know, is written to believers. These are Galatian believers. Now, there's two theories on the Galatian, uh, who the book of Galatians was written to. There's a northern Galatian theory. There's a southern Galatian theory. Most scholars I know favor the southern Galatian theory. I would as well. And that means it was written to the church at Lystra, Iconium, Derby, and Antioch of Pisidia. So those four churches, you find them in the book of Acts, are the churches that Paul's writing this letter. And we all know what happened. They got saved. We all know in the book of Acts, these people got saved. They were born-again believers. He addresses them nine times as brethren. Okay, so with that addressing nine times as brethren, uh, we can assume, okay, he believed these people were certainly uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, in the book of James, some people have argued when he calls them brethren there, he's calling them Jewish brethren, not Christian brethren. I think it's a poor argument, but nonetheless, that's there in the book of James. But that can't be in the book of Galatians because these aren't Jews. Okay, so when he's calling them brethren, he's clearly calling them saved people. Okay, so these churches had gotten saved right, and so he's addressing the problem of legalism. Now, many times we think of salvation, the issue of salvation is legalism, and, and there are legalistic religions, of course, today, uh, Christian, Christian, large, broad Christianity today, one of them would be the Catholic Church. Whenever you put in any amount of works into salvation, you, you have now adopted legalism, okay? So the book of Galatians, many times people approach it as a book that is dealing only with salvation legalism, but I believe the primary emphasis of the book of Galatians is legalism in the Christian life, or legalism in sanctification. And the reason I believe that is because he's addressing saved people. Okay, they got saved. They wasn't worried about their salvation, but they had adopted legalistic thinking and as a result had gone into bondage. So he calls it the false gospel. And we're going to just a moment deal with that. We're going to walk through that. And I want you to begin by looking at the purpose statement of the book of Galatians verses 6 and 7. Okay, anytime you read uh, or study a book of the Bible, you want to get the purpose statement down. And this one's pretty easy. 6 and 7. I marvel, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ. Here it is. Unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some which trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, I recognize, and of course, some of you have read the book 0100, and the title on the, the subtitle of the book is The Gospel to the Saint. Okay, so when the Bible's talking about the gospel, there's good news to the sinner, and hallelujah, there's good news to the saint. I won't go uh, into all of that, but the gospel can get warped, and this is exactly what happened. He said, listen, you guys, I marvel. You got saved right. I mean, you're all born again. But I marvel that you've been so soon removed to another gospel. Now, most of you know that word another, the first word another, is the word heteros. Now, the word heteros means another of a different kind. Now, basically, uh, we use the word heteros in English. Did you know that? We use it with this particular phrase, heterosexual marriage. Now, as believers, we believe in heterosexual marriage, which is marriage between a man and a woman. So why did God, why is the word heteros used in that particular phrase? And the reason is men and women are different. Okay, we're different. We're of the human race, but we're different. And one of the things that makes a man and woman different is the way they think. Yes, I'm telling you, friends, uh, I know most of you out here are unmarried, but I'm just telling you right there now, women think differently than men. Did you know that? 
Now, you're gonna, I, I preach a whole message on this to help you out, but you're not near marriage yet. At least some of you uh, aren't, but, uh, so I won't deal with that. But that's where the word heteros is. It's another of a different kind. And then it says, which is not another, which means another of the same kind. I'll say, so what God is saying here, what through the Apostle Paul, he's saying, listen, folks, you started right. Man, you got saved by grace, but you've gotten into another gospel which is different. It's not the same. That's what he's saying. So the first thing I want you to understand is whatever he's dealing with here, with these believers, it is a different gospel. Now, how different? As you continue to read, it says in verse 7, which is not another, but there be some which trouble you and would pervert, that's a key word, the gospel of Christ. The word pervert means to turn to the opposite. It means to reverse. So I want you to understand that a heteros gospel is an opposite gospel. So the false gospel here is opposite. Now, there's something you need to understand, and probably you already do. Opposites are easy to detect. Did you know that? Now, sometimes we men can be dense, but I think we can get this one. If a woman says to a man, let's say a wife says to her husband, honey, I got a, a glass of iced tea and I got some hot tea in the kitchen. Could you come and bring me the hot tea? You know, we men can probably figure that out. We can figure it out. You know why? Because they're opposites. Opposites are easy to detect. Okay, we understand that. And so what God is saying is the false gospel is not too hard to detect because it's opposite. Now, let's go to James, uh, excuse me, James, Galatians chapter number two, the last verse of chapter number two. And I want to show you a string of opposites right here, a string of opposites to kind of help us put this together. And again, remember, he's addressing them a moment. We'll see. He believes they're saved. He calls them brethren. Verse 21, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. I see an opposite there, grace and law. You know what grace is? It's a gift. You know what law is? Do this. So one is receive it as a gift. The other is do this and get a paycheck, so to speak. Okay, so we see an opposite there. I would call that the opposite of divine means. The divine means of salvation is grace. The divine means of the false gospel is it's by a law. It's by law. Okay, now chapter number three. He is obviously, uh, he is pretty bothered. And he says, oh, foolish Galatians. Have you ever thought about how blunt that is? Sometimes I read the Bible and think, man alive, that's like blunt. So, so what if I came in, first day of chapel, this is our first day of chapel, you haven't figured it out. But anyway, I come, first day of chapel, we're all here. And I come up to the pulpit and I glower at you. And I say, oh, you foolish BCMers. You say, wow, this is going to be a great year. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, you know. Uh, uh, now, I actually heard that happening one time. My dad was a student at Bob Jones College back in the day, and uh, they had a preacher in in chapel, and half the student body got saved. Saved, quote, unquote, okay? Half the student body got saved. And, uh, and so uh, doctor, doctor, they got a call to Dr. Bob. Dr. Bob cut his meeting short, got on a train or however they did back then, got back to the campus, which I think was Cleveland, Tennessee at the time. And my dad said that he was sitting in chapel. He was not one of the ones that got saved, okay? It was about half the ones got saved. Now, don't get me wrong. Probably most of them were already saved. You know what I'm talking about? And so it was like their assurance got rattled and they got saved. And they said, Dr. Bob got, my dad said, Dr. Bob got up and he glowered. I guess he, he, he would sometimes hit a bald head so he could, he could do this on his head, okay? And uh, uh, he would glowered at him and he said, you fools. He said, you're a bunch of fools. 
That sounds pretty strong, doesn't it? Yeah. How would you like to be one of those guys? Yeah, I got saved, but I was already saved. I guess that was kind of foolish. Okay, but anyway, and uh, my dad said he kind of solved the problem. Okay, kind of solved the problem. But that's pretty strong language, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, foolish Galatians. Yeah, the Apostle Paul is pretty bothered. And uh, so we're going to see some questions, and I'm going to ask you to answer the questions. Okay, let's not answer the first question, because... um, That one's kind of particular to them, but let's go to verse number two and answer that one. Uh, This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or the hearing of faith? So you answer that question. Okay, here it is. If Paul was writing you, he said, how did you get saved? Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Go ahead and answer it. By? Hearing of faith. Yeah, hearing. You heard and you believed. Okay. Now, next question. Uh, Are you so foolish? I guess you can pass that one too. Uh, Having begun, because you sophomores would be in trouble on that question. Okay, are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? And the answer is no. Now, do you see a contrast here? He's contrasting flesh and spirit, and he's contrasting works. And faith. You see that? See, you got these contrasts, these opposites theologically. And so it's an opposite gospel. So remember that sanctification, uh, the means of sanctification is faith. And the power is the Holy Spirit. And the means is grace. See, I think it was Doc Flanders that said he took the book of Galatians and turned it into two math formulas. Yeah, I like this. So you might remember this. Grace plus faith plus spirit equals liberty. And on the other side, law plus works plus flesh equals bondage. Okay, so did you get that? You got two, uh, two uh, spiritual, theological, mathematical problems that give us the two sides of the true gospel and the false gospel. Now... Let's go, if we could please, to chapter 5 and verse 1. We'll make some application here in a moment. We're kind of laying a foundation. Chapter 5 and verse number 1. Won't spend a long time here because we dealt with this on Sunday night. Also, Sunday school, Sunday morning. It says, notice verse number 31. So then, brethren. Notice who he's talking to. He's talking to save people. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Okay, I want you to stop for a moment. And I want you to think about this just a few moments here. Okay, so what he's telling us here is true liberty sets you free from the yoke of bondage. In other words, could I put it this way? Liberty is not liberty to do what you want to do. Liberty is the liberty, the power, and the desire to do what God wants you to do. Because you want to do it. It's supernatural. It's where the Spirit of the Lord is. And that's this, I'm going to just take the middle aisle here. That's the Liberty Road, that, that road, that narrow road. It's the Liberty Road. It's the road of faith. It's the road of grace. Uh, it's the road of the Holy Spirit. And my stupid phone keeps talking to me. I had it actually, it's on silence. It is. But this dumb phone, there's a demon in my phone. Okay, so uh, see, it's, it's on, I, on silence. I don't know why it does that. It starts talking. It keeps saying, it keeps telling, I'm not getting that. I'm saying, I'm not talking to you, stupid. Okay, but anyway, I'm mean to my phone. I let it out of my phone because I figure it doesn't have any feelings. Okay, but anyway, so I'll have to go after my phone a little bit more. Okay. It is an Android, so you iPhone people are going to make fun of me, but uh, it is what it is. Okay, now, back to liberty. I have the liberty to have an Android. Okay, but anyway, so... um 
Uh, but anyway, there it is. Yeah. So freedom. That's that's that Liberty Road. It's freedom to do what God wants you to do. It's freedom to have victory over things you never thought you could have victory. Some of you guys in this room, you want freedom over lust. You want freedom over anger. You want freedom over frustration. You want freedom over unbelief. I'm telling you, friends, the Liberty Road's where you get it. See, it's not freedom to do what you want to do. It's the freedom to be free from what you, what you ought to be free from. And God uh, has, had so that's, there's so much we could say about that. You're going to hear that all year long. But now let's go to the other ditch. We got the one ditch over here. But before we move to the other ditch, I want you side, this side right here to help me out here this morning. And I want you to be our legalist. Can you be my legalist here? Probably some of you still are, so it shouldn't be too hard. Okay, we're going to try to get you out of that. But let's, uh, let's, so, so I'm going to just say legalism is, and I want you to say flesh dependence. Can you do that? Okay, so here it is. Legalism is? Wow, see, legalists, you see how well they did? See, that's how, as the legalists, the men right on it, they were in chorus together. Everybody was speaking. You guys are doing a great job being legalists here this morning. Okay, yeah, it's flesh dependence. Now, how much flesh dependence does it take to be a legalist? And the answer is any amount. Now, I've said this before, but I'm going to say it now. It, let's imagine there's somebody who wants to get saved. They're a seeking sinner. So how much self-dependence can a seeking sinner have before they can't get saved? So you're, you know, you're giving the gospel. And, and uh, how much self-dependence can that seeking sinner have before ah, too much self-dependence can't get saved? So how much? None. So how much self-dependence can a seeking saint have who wants victory? Been defeated, but sick of it, wants victory. How much self-dependence can a seeking saint have before it's too much self-dependence, they'll be defeated, won't have victory? How much? And the answer is any amount. So how much, um, how much amount of flesh or self-dependence does it take to be a legalist? And the answer is any amount. Now, those of you who've been around for a while, you know where I'm going with that. So legalism is any amount of self-dependence. Now, you say, well, preacher, how do I know? This is, you, say, you might say, how in the world do I know I'm in flesh or self-dependence? And the answer is real simple. You will be defeated. Here's what I tell young people all the time. Defeat is God's reminder that you cannot live the Christian's life in your own strength. Let me say it again. Defeat is God's reminder that you cannot live the Christian life on your own strength. See, somebody, how many of you have ever gotten defeated, and after you got defeated, you got discouraged? Wrong window. You know what discouragement is? Unbelief. Did you know that? Now, what causes people to sin? And the answer is, bottom line, you get back to unbelief, Right? So I've got a question for you. How can unbelief be the answer for unbelief? And the answer is, it's not. It is not right for you to be discouraged after you fail. You know why you failed? Because you were in unbelief. Some measure of unbelief or self or flesh dependence. So what's the answer? And the answer is, look back to God. <laughs> the answer is, to answer for unbelief is belief. So the answer is to look to Jesus to do what? To cleanse you, to restore you, to give you victory where you've been defeated. The answer is faith. <laughs> so um, that uh, helps us with the legalist. But now let's go to the other side of the victory road, we could call it. Let's go to verse number 13 of chapter number 5. Verse number 13. It says, For brethren, ye have been called under liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Now, in this passage of Scripture, it tells us that there are certain people in the name of liberty who use it as a particular excuse to feed their own flesh. Now, I got a question. If somebody in the name of liberty uses it to indulge their flesh, is it liberty? And the answer is no. It's not liberty, it's what we might call counterfeit. Now, I got a question for you. Is a counterfeit 
Harder to detect or an opposite? Well, the answer is, let's, let's just imagine I pull out my wallet, see what I got in here. Okay. Uh, yeah, right here. Okay. So let's imagine I come up to your store and I buy something and I hand you this bill. Is this bill going to work? This bill going to work in the United States? This one going to work? No, probably not. Now, it's pretty durable. It's plastic even. It almost looks like it's Monopoly or something like that. But you say, what in the world is it? It's Canadian money. Somebody, Matthew probably recognizes this. Yeah, Canadian money. You say, why do you carry Canadian money? Well, these days, I don't know why. But there was a day when I carried it because the first thing I do when I cross the border, border is head to Tim Hortons. Right here. Here it is. Right here. Right there. That's it. Right there. So that's why I carry it. Okay. It's probably not worth as much as it used to be. But anyway, it's still in there. Now, if I pulled out a counterfeit bill here in the United States, maybe I didn't even know I had it, and I passed that, pass that off, pretty good chance it would be much more likely to be taken by a cashier than the uh, Canadian bill, wouldn't it? See, opposites are way easier to understand than those that are counterfeit. So over here, we're going to have what we call license. And according to verse number three, license is, let's just say it in a moment, flesh indulgence. Can you do that? Okay, so you're going to be the licensed people. Looks like we got some needy people over here. Okay, so I'm going to say license is, and you say flesh indulgence. Can you do that? Okay, so here it is. License is flesh you're acting like legalists. Okay, you should have been sloppy on that, not together, etc. You should have been a little bit more on the license side of things. Okay, yeah, license is flesh indulgence. Now, let's ask a question because we saw the, the gospel words. Remember the gospel words right here? Grace, faith, spirit, uh, liberty. We saw those words here. And over here, license, uh, legalist people, they just do the opposite. You know, it's not, oh, no, it's not faith, it's works. And it's not grace, it's law. And it's not the spirit, it's the flesh, and, and et cetera. Okay, so, so that's what, but over here, you know what, you know what, you know what the licensed people use? The same words. Now, I want to ask you biblically, can the word liberty be redefined? Okay, in other words, does the Bible teach us that people use the word liberty, but it doesn't mean what the Bible means? And the answer is, well, yeah, we just read it. Some people use it as an occasion to the flesh, a cover to indulge their flesh. How about the word grace? Does the Bible tell us that the word grace can be defined in a way that is not grace? And the answer is, well, yeah, you can turn the grace of God, anybody know, into lasciviousness. That's what the Bible says. Now, every one of you need to understand, not everybody talking about grace is talking about the same grace you're talking about from the Bible. Some people turn it to lasciviousness. Years ago, I read a very famous book on grace. I was struck by a couple of things. Number one, Titus chapter 2 was never found in there. That one that talks about the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. I don't know how you could write a book on grace and miss that verse. And the reason that verse was missed, I believe, was because it completely talked counter to what they were trying to teach. Very interesting book. I won't mention the name of it right now. It's certainly 30 years old in its impact. But that particular book, you got the idea reading the book that grace was permission. Kind of like grace was permission to do what you wanted to do. It wouldn't say it that boldly, but that's the idea you've got. And you know what I've learned? If anytime somebody defines grace in a sense that gives you the nuance of permission, it's the wrong definition. Grace is not the permission to do what you want to do. Grace is the power and the desire to do what he wants you to do. It's supernatural. 
Okay, so grace can return to lasciviousness. How about this? Can faith, can people tout faith and the faith be not what the Bible says faith is? And the answer is, if a man say he hath faith and hath not works, what does the Bible say about that faith? It's dead being alone. Okay, James chapter number two. So isn't that interesting? The Bible's telling us you can use the word grace, faith, and liberty, and you can redefine them. Which means that I think it's fair today to say that there's people that talk about grace, faith, liberty, that have re they may have be sincere, but they have redefined those Bible terms to mean something that the Bible doesn't. You know what that means? Counterfeit. It's a counterfeit gospel. Now, here's the problem. Let's just go over, make sure you got this. Legalism is, yeah, they are slipping fast. These legalists are getting tired of their legalism. Okay, over here, license is, man, they're doing better than legalists. Unbelievable. Okay, so let's, we don't have an American flag in here, but let's just imagine I brought an American flag in here. And uh, went down somewhere to the nursery since face-to-face is here and found a very enthusiastic four-year-old kid. I don't know if there is one here. I probably thought about it. I could think of one. Usually, I mean, the kids of Falls Baptist Church, they are faceless rugrats to me until they become a seventh grader. Then they get on my radar screen. It's just God's call to me. The rest of them are just a bunch of snotty-nosed little kids running around. Just don't tell your parents about that. Okay. So, um, let's imagine I went down there, found a little four-year-old and a real outgoing kid. We brought him up here to College Chapel. And I said to you students, we're going to do something amazing today. We're going to watch this young man jump and touch the eagle on the top of the American flag. Wow, there's a ripple of excitement. By the way, I use this illustration in Canada, Matthew. And I asked the Canadian people, we put eagles on the top of our pole. What do you guys put up there? Maple leaves, hockey pucks, what's up there? I don't know. But anyway, and so Tim Horton's coffee cup, I don't know. But anyway, at the top of the thing. And so uh, we got that eagle up there. And I say that little four-year-old kid, now I want you to jump and touch that eagle. Man, he jumps a few times. He's not even close. So we think we got to do something. So I get you chanting his name, get a couple of the upperclassmen up here. We start doing cheers, chanting his name. I put an offering plate. People are coming, putting money in the offering plate, bribing the kids, said, man, you can touch that eagle. We'll give you the money. Now I want to ask you a question. We can motivate him. We can encourage him. We can bribe him. We can do whatever. But is he in the next, I mean, foreseeable future going to touch that eagle? And the answer is no. So pretty soon we're noticing that little lip come out. You know what I'm talking about? You have younger brothers and sisters. I remember back when I, I was a parent for our, our three girls, that little lip would come out, you know, start to quiver, and Daddy would just melt. It was over at that moment. But anyway, that's why you have a, a mother. But anyway, and so uh, that little lip comes out, quivers, and the tears come up in the eyes, and we're all feeling horrible. You know what I'm talking about? Just horrible. We thought we got to remedy this. This kid's about to run out of the room. And so you know what I do? I take the American flag, and I compromise the standard. I just... Just, just pull it over. I hold up the flag, obviously, so it doesn't touch the ground. But I compromise the standard, and that little kid comes over, touches the eagle. You guys erupt. You know what I'm talking about? And we're all cheering. He gets happy, grabs the money. You know what I'm talking about? And he's out of here. You know what I'm thinking? And you know what we all knew? He didn't touch that eagle. We compromised the standard. Now, there's another option. 
The other option is those tears start to well up. His little lip starts to tremble. And that standard is standing high. And we're thinking, what in the world are we going to do? And so I'm looking out here in the student body. And I'm looking for somebody that's cut. You know what I'm talking about? Somebody who pumps iron. Somebody who's got bulging muscles. And I'm really not seeing anybody. But anyway, <laughs> I'm looking for somebody, you know. And so I'm looking around. And uh, we'll just say, if sake of illustration, we find somebody. Okay, we're just really going the hypothetical here. And so a uh, guy comes up, you know, six foot, whatever, you know, and he's um, not bulging biceps. I say that little four-year-old kid, you think so-and-so can lift you to touch that eagle? He kind of with awe looks at him and nods with very little effort. He scoops up that little kid, raises up, kid touches the eagle, and we erupt. Now, that's a little different, isn't it? We didn't compromise the standard. A power that was not his own enabled him to do what he could never do unless enabled by that power. Now, the problem with the illustration is, you obviously know I'm making that illustration of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's not outside of us. Hallelujah, He's inside of us. But the truth is the same. Those are the three ways to live the Christian life. If you're over here jumping, trying to do what you, uh, what you think you can do, I'm telling you, you reach a point. You'll reach a point where you're thinking, I can't do this. And you know what many people do? They walk away. They give up. I can't do this. Or in a moment, we'll see they come over to license. That's another option. Or the other thing you can do is we can compromise the standard and come over here and touch it. We all know deep down we're not doing exactly what the Bible says. But, I mean, we compromise the standard, but we can do it now in our flesh. You know what license does? It makes the Christian life attainable through fleshly effort. That's what it does. And so you go over here and you're able to indulge your flesh, etc. Uh, the middle one, obviously, is when we trust the Holy Spirit to enable us to do what we could never do unless he enabled us to do it. That's the Christian life, friend. And every one of us needs in this room needs to understand that at any one point in our life, we're on either one of those things. And so these days, God's dealing in your heart like, you know what, I, I need to change that. Or, you know, I need, I've, got to, I've, got to, I've got to come to an application that's different. And we're going to talk about applications tomorrow night, uh, uh, tomorrow morning, excuse me. I, uh, I, I want you to understand that, that, the, the, that you don't want to fall into license. You certainly don't want to fall into legalism, but you want the Lord to lift you, to enable you to do what you can never do. That's why we've made that emphasis. That's what I'm preaching this message here this morning. But I do want you to understand, friends, the danger uh, is that when you get to that point where you realize, I can't touch the eagle, I can't do it. You know what often many people do? In fact, you see it here in the book of Galatians. They come over here to license. So I'm going to just say this. Legalism always leads to license unless you meet Jesus. And I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about the Christian life. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to give you a kind of a lifelong perspective. Everybody has a little bit different perspective uh, of life because you, you have different life experience. But I would say, that, don't get me wrong, the 70s and the 80s were exciting days in the Independent Baptist Movement. A lot of good things were happening and, and just exciting. And, and a lot of it was of God. There's not, but there's no doubt, as time went on, I began to notice, I think looking back, that there began to be what we might call some legalism set in. I've got a, a little bit of an opinion of that. Now, some of you have read uh, Dr. 
Dr. Ed Nelson. How many have read Dr. Ed Nelson's biography? Can I see your hands, please? Boy, if you're a pastor particularly, you've got to read that thing. It'll just, just got so much in it. But anyway, I read that thing, and, and it reminds me of some of the stories my dad used to tell. He said, Jim, when the independent Baptist movement started, he said, there were no independents. He said, we were despised. We were mocked. We were fought. We had no infrastructure. We had nothing. We didn't have money. We were absolutely, we were just, we had nothing. We had storefronts. We had little churches. He said, all we had was God. And I'll tell you, you know what they did? All night prayer meetings. I mean, revival meetings. I mean, God doing so well. I mean, they just trusted God, went out and did it. And God did some remarkable things so that by the late 70s, early 80s, out of 50 states, 20, I think it was 24 of the 50 states, the largest church in that state was an independent Baptist church. Did you know that? Now, that's amazing when you consider there were no independent Baptist churches largely in the early 1900s. It was about the 1940s when the movement began. It's the modernist, fundamentalist conflict that kind of spawned the independent Baptist movement. I don't have time to, you'll get a plenty of history before you graduate. But anyway, so what happened? What, what, you say, well, preacher, what happened to the independent Baptist movement? I, I can only give you broad brush, which is never totally fair. But somewhere along the line in, in the mid-1970s, we got really concerned politically. There was a guy, I'm just going to be honest with you, who was elected to president, and most people said, it's over, we're done. His name was Jimmy Carter. <laughs> I'm telling you, Jimmy Carter, every Democratic president since Jimmy Carter has made Jimmy Carter look better and better and better. Okay. But anyway, at that time, we thought, wow. I mean, you'd have thought, I mean, everybody was concerned. They thought we're done. I heard messages, 1976, it's going to be over, et cetera. I mean, I mean, as a kid, I wondered if I, you know, the United States would be uh, around when I was uh, older and, and all that kind of stuff. And some of it was probably unsensational and inappropriate. But anyway, you had that. So, so during the, the Carter presidency, they had something called inflation. I know you guys have never experienced that. Uh, inflation. But anyway, uh, inflation was rampant. And there were gas lines at the pumps and gas prices were up and it was, there was economic problems. There were all kinds of problems. And Christians got together and they said, we've got to do something about it. And uh, I'm telling you, there was an amazing thing happened. They got behind a candidate by the name of Ronald Reagan. And in 1980, Ronald Reagan was elected president of the United States. I'll never forget that night. Man, I was so pumped up. I was your age, and I was pumped about Ronald Reagan. He was not a perfect president. I thank God for the good things he did, but he was not the Messiah. I'm not trying to be irreverent, but I think some people thought he was. But here's what I think may have happened. I think sometimes we may have left the prayer closet to elect the president of the United States. Now, I'm all for political involvement. I'm all for voting. And I hope you'll vote. Get your absentee ballot. If you're from a different state, do this. I hope you'll do that. But I guarantee you, friends, that that without prayer is not the answer. I think we left our prayer closet. Christian school movement. I love Christian schools. I'm all for Christian schools. I will be in 25 Christian schools this year. As you can see, I've given my life to them. They're not perfect. They got problems. There's issues. I'm certainly dedicating my life to doing what I can to be a part of the solution. But I will tell you, friends, I think we left the prayer closet to start our Christian schools. And all I'm going to say, somewhere along the line, here's what happened. When you stop looking to depend upon God to supernaturally enable you, you default, whether or not you know it, to self-dependence. And how much self-dependence heads you to defeat? How much? And the answer is any amount. And you know what happens after a while in legalism? You can't do it anymore. You give up. And like I said, legalism always leads to license unless you meet Jesus. Now, let me conclude with this. I've not made application because I'm making application every night. Normally, I'd preach another 10 minutes on application, but you're getting that every night. So I won't do that. But I'm going to end this way. 
Galatians chapter number 6. Verse number 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the, help me out now, flesh, shall of the, help me out now, flesh, reap, tell me. Corruption. I don't want you to miss this, young people, we're done. You can depend on your stretched flesh. You can depend on yourself. You can grit your teeth and try to live the Christian life, but it will not work. It always reaps corruption. Or you can go over here and say, forget it, man, with the rule book. I'm just going to live by liberty, and I'm going to do what I want to do. And you can indulge in your flesh, but you hear me, it will not work. It doesn't matter if it's flesh dependence, and it doesn't matter if it's flesh indulgence. Flesh, the Bible says, always reaps, you tell me. Corruption always does. You mark my words, it's a matter of time. It grieves me when people indulge their flesh. It grieves me when people depend on their flesh. Because we know, and we all struggle with, uh, at times, getting in those default modes. But I'm telling you, because we know that it always, it always reaps corruption. Last summer, there were two scandals, and with this, I'm done. One was from a very conservative, we might, it was clearly legalistic part of independent Baptist movement. A man who had a very legalistic ministry, and he was exposed for all kinds of moral issues that were tragic, that were illegal, and probably sent him to jail, haven't done follow-up on the situation, it was bad. Just a week or two later, there was another scandal in the independent Baptist movement from a guy who was so close to leaving the independent Baptist movement because he was about as far to the left as you can get. He'd been, in the, he'd been uh, seven years before or six years before, uh, had been involved with prostitute. It was an absolute disaster. And I don't even have to tell you the half of it because it's so sordid. But here's the point. One was flesh indulgence. One had painted his auditorium black, had a guy with a man bun leaving the singing, you know, had clearly gone the, the, the contemporary route and fully. I mean, this was just completely got that route. The other guy would have been done church just like most of us are familiar with. And, uh, but in both cases, here's the problem. Because you can look at either case and try to make an argument. But the point is, legalism doesn't work. License doesn't work. The only thing that works is the Liberty Road, which is fueled by God dependence. Do you know what the book of Galatians is trying to tell you? The flesh doesn't work. That's what it's trying to tell you. And whether your issue is flesh dependence or whether your issue is flesh indulgence, both of them are disastrous. So legalism license. Both reap corruption. Could I ask every head bowed, please, every eye closed? Lord, thank you for your word. Stir us, help us, and just help God's people to just take this. I know we've just kind of flown through a book of the Bible, but tried to get an overview. I just pray it'd be a help to them and uh, that you'd encourage them. Uh, in this important matter. The heads are bowed and eyes are closed. How many would say from a very practical standpoint, not just theological, but a practical standpoint, God used our journey through Galatians this morning to just, um, I don't know how to explain it, it turned some lights on for me and I want to embrace what God taught me this morning, I don't want it to leave. I, I, want, to, I, I want to make sure that I hold on to what God uh, confronted me with or taught me this morning. Would you just lift your hand? Would you do that if you sense that God turned some lights on for you? Thank you very much. You can put your uh, hands down. Would you just stand to your feet real quickly? Just stand right to your feet. And uh, here's what I'm going to do. won't be a long invitation, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask our pianist to begin to play. And uh, if, uh, for time's sake, let's just do this. 
If God's done a work in your heart, you just need to put a, a stake down in your life. Just sit right where you are and just spend a few moments with the Lord putting that stake down in your heart. Would you do that while the piano plays?